0: Pickaxe and Roll brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Sunday night as I am joined tonight by a very special guest. Uh, We just got done watching uh, what was a basketball game uh, that was played by the Philadelphia 76ers and the Orlando Magic. uh, That Philly came out on top, uh, but the real reason why we have been brought together today is because there is a another basketball game that will be played tomorrow and. If you know it from the title of this podcast, there is a, a lot of buildup for this particular game uh, between the Philadelphia 76ers and the Denver Nuggets, Nicola Jokic and Joel Embiid, uh, not Michael Porter Jr. and not Jamal Murray and maybe not Aaron Gordon. Uh, versus uh, I'm already making the excuses up front. Uh, this is great. Uh, I have brought <laughs> on uh, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, one of my favorite Sixers fans, who also happens to be a fantastic. Uh, quality control person over at Bleacher Report who does uh, the NBA pod with Morton Stick Jensen. It is Brian Toporik at B on Twitter. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time, man. I really appreciate you hopping on with me.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. And all I can say is I hope Tomorrow's game goes better than the last big game that had a ton of buildup for the Sixers. That was we don't need to talk mm. about
0: that. <laughs> yeah. That, well, actually, let's 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 uh let's go one one question on that game. Oh boy. Uh <laughs> what what was more disappointing? Harden's shooting performance or the Sixers pick and roll defense?
1: Yes is that just can I Just answer yes like every single thing there was not a single positive takeaway from that game just everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong and you know they look it's going to be a theme throughout this next month and like we'll talk about tomorrow's game you know like these guys are just coming together on the fly and like harden has been talking about it ever since he got to philly doc rivers has been talking about it like They've said like, we know three plays right now. So, you know, right now they need their offense to be elite because their defense definitely took a step back. That's just what happens when you add James Harden to your team and, you know, subtract Ben Simmons. Um, So they, you know, they have needed to score basically 115 plus points to have any chance of winning a game. They did not do that against Brooklyn and they got their class played.
0: Yeah, it was it was very surprising. That was not the result that I was expecting. I think everybody was hoping that the Sixers, uh, not hope like like let's 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 throw out the the hope there, uh, but everybody was thinking that the Sixers would get up for that game against Ben uh, Ben Simmons and not Ben Simmons, I guess. Uh, but for whatever reason, it just didn't manifest that way. Kevin Durant uh, might still sneakily be the best player in basketball i think that that's a take that probably will be addressed in the postseason later this year as long as he stays healthy uh but it's going to be very fascinating I, i you i know you guys had a up close and personal view of that for sure uh but it just seems like both of these teams the nuggets and the sixers kind of on a crash course right now at this stage of their their time so you guys just got a win over the Orlando Magic uh, in OT. That was a, a long <laughs> game uh, for you guys. And and I don't know if either Embiid or, or Harden particularly acquitted themselves well in that game. But you get the win. Uh, 24-hour break. Should be playing tomorrow. Uh, you think they'll both play tomorrow?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the question now. And I know a lot of Sixers people, as soon as that game went to overtime, were like, So help me God, if Joel Embiid now sits out of this game tomorrow because he played 41 minutes in the first half of a back-to-back, I don't know. I mean, I think Embiid will play. I think he knows how important it is, as much as he pretends to not pay attention to the MVP stuff and what Jokic is doing. Like, someone asked him about it last week, and, you know, he he said, nah, and then immediately went into what Jokic has been doing. So, like (laughs) – he knows the stakes of this game. I would be very surprised if he didn't play. Though so Harden did sit uh, a back-to-back. The second game of back-to-back last week, he played against Cleveland and against Miami. We'll see. I, I assume, you know, he, the Sixers have said that they're not going to sit him every back-to-back. That was just kind of his ramp-up um, from this hamstring issue. You know, he did play 44 minutes tonight, but I, I would think given how important the game is to Embiid that Harden will also play, I will cross my fingers that we get close to full strength for both teams as we possibly can.
0: Gosh, I wish that would be, that would be so great. I, I miss Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. so much. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. so much. <laughs> oh my gosh. But we'll, we'll get to that. I, I want to spend more of that time in the third segment, just kind of parsing through what's going to happen there. Uh, but for now, like, I, I think it's important and Nuggets fans, I know are very guilty of this of either denigrating their own role players around Jokic or denigrating Embiid in order to support Jokic's MVP case. And I think it's unhealthy. And I think where, where this MVP race for the second straight year has now gone has been a pretty difficult thing for both fan bases to really handle uh, just emotionally, honestly. So I wanted to start off this segment uh, with you, especially As somebody who appreciates both players and has made the conscious point to appreciate both players, and just talk about how great both of these guys are. They are two of the top three players in the NBA this year, at least from an impact standpoint, like bar none. I don't think there's any arguments about that from anybody this year. And in order to get to that level, that's freaking incredible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I I understand the instinct to denigrate the other guy to build up your guy's case, but like, you know, I know Andy Glockner, who used to write for Sports Illustrated and is a Nuggets guy, has been pointing this out on Twitter lately. Like, in a normal year, Embiid would be running away with MVP, Jokic would be running away with MVP, even Giannis would be running away with MVP. Yep. And these guys all just be ha- happen to be having these monster seasons simultaneously. So it's like, you know, if, if Embiid wins or edges out Jokic or Jokic edges out Embiid, it's like, All you should do is just tip your cap to, like, this guy, you know, my guy is having a monster season, and the other guy, you know, snuck past. Like, that's awesome. We got to see two or three historically great seasons at the same time. That's a gift.
0: It really is a gift. And I think one of the things that uh, people are really frustrated with is the all-NBA aspect of this, where you have two of these dominant centers who are just freaking great. And they've been two of the five best players bar none in each of the past two seasons. And and Embiid last year was pushed to all NBA second team and definitely had a case to be all NBA first team over some of the other players that were on that list. Like Damian Lillard. uh, So help him should not have been a first teamer last year uh, when it comes to just the the level of player that we're talking about for the top five players in the NBA. So I'm, I hope that they fix that at some point, uh, we've already they've already started to do some positionalist stuff uh, from the All Star Game. I hope that it moves to the other awards as well. Uh, it just makes that much sense. But that's that's probably one of the other reasons is you you automatically have a first tier player and then a second tier player, and the concept of that I think is really difficult for some of these fans, like some fans and fans, Jokic fans, to really appreciate that. This guy isn't a second rate player. He's unbelievable. He's incredible.
1: Yeah. And I think I would be curious, like, what is your fix for the all NBA? Is it, you know, follow the all-star like two guards, three front court and just get rid of the center position or like I'm personally in the mind of just like, why do we need positions at all? Just take the five best guys. I don't care if it's five centers. Cool. If it's five point guards, fine. Like let's have this be an accurate reflection of the five best players of the season, that second team, six through 10. Like, I don't understand, especially given how many guys are now interchangeable. Like, what is Luka Doncic? Is he a point guard? Is he a small forward? What is Ben Simmons? What is Jimmy Butler? Like, what is Nikola Jokic? Like, a point (laughs) center? Like, we've never had that before. Let's just, who cares about these labels?
0: I think if it were up to me, I would probably still keep some structure, but I would go with two backcourt Two front court and a wild card on every single oh, ballot. Okay. And then, so, because there are so many teams that play big and there are so many teams that play small, and a lot of different teams play a lot of different ways. And I feel like there should be a way to appreciate that in the end of season awards. Because, like for example, the Cleveland Cavaliers, Evan Mobley yeah. sometimes plays small forward, right. Jared Allen <laughs> is an all star. Like you should be able to appreciate both of those guys, but I just, I think that there's going to be some. All defensive stuff with both of those guys where they're probably not going to get on the ballots and they probably both should be in some cases, so I, I give given, especially the injury stuff for defensive player of the year we won't get into that right now, but yeah. um I do think that. There should be a little bit of structure, but it should be flexible. And right now there's just very little flexibility. The only flexibility that we've really seen was when they decided to pigeonhole Anthony Davison as a starting first team center in 2019, 20, uh, so that he could then have his case to be the best big man in the NBA and of the all time. Like that's, that's great. That's great. Um, so, uh, I I'm not bitter. I promise. I promise. So, uh, but Hey, I, I think. Both of these guys are incredible. I'm just going to run through Embiid's stats and Jokic's stats real quick. Yeah. Uh, Embiid is currently leading the NBA in points per game. He's at 29.7, maybe 29.8 if you round up. I don't know, but uh, 11.2 rebounds, 4.3 assists, 1.1 steals, 1.4 blocks. Uh, first of all, I mean, that's that's incredible that a center can get to that level in this day and age. Uh, the 48.9% field goal percentage is where I think things start to dip a little bit for him, but he absolutely makes up for it by shooting 12 free throws a game. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: That's unbelievable. That's incredible. We can uh, kind of parse out how he gets to the free throw line sometimes. And I, I personally have a trouble with that. When i watch Jokic kind of have like deal with a slasher film across his neck <laughs> uh, when he had it in the golden state game, that was a little bit weird, but uh what Embiid does is extremely dominant, and anybody that says otherwise is just—they're messing with themselves at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, they—I think what I appreciate about both of these guys is that they dominate in such different ways. And I think one of the cool things about this season in particular is, like, you know, last season it was—is—is is Jokic so much better than Embiid offensively as Embiid is compared to Jokic defensively. And then this season, like both guys have kind of addressed their respective weaknesses. So Jokic is a much better defender this year than he was last year. And Embiid, in part because of the absence of Ben Simmons for most of the season, had to level up as a playmaker. Like he is making reads that he did not make a year or two ago. And he's averaging a career-high number of assists. I mean, it's you know 4.3, it's nowhere near Jokic, but... It is still progress from him. I believe he's averaging a career low number of turnovers as well. So despite the uptick in responsibility, he's actually become more efficient with the ball, um, and you know, you're totally right to point to the field goal percentage as like, you're a big guy. Who's that dominant? Why are you not shooting like 55% from the field? Um, you know, part of it this year, especially is again, without Ben Simmons, he didn't really have a table setter like Tyrese Maxey second year point guard got pigeonholed into that role because the Sixers didn't have anyone else. On the roster capable of doing so, but like as we've seen since the arrival of James Harden Maxey is much more comfortable as an off ball guard a secondary creator so like for half of the season. A lot of it was like just like, all right, let's get the ball to Joe in the post, and he's probably going to get double-teamed, and he's just going to shoot over these guys anyway and probably score or draw a free throw.
0: It's one of the reasons why over these last couple games, and it's it may just be a blip, I've just been surprised seeing the field goal percentage number for for Embiid in some of these games, where I, I would have assumed that he'd be more in the pick-and-roll and and downhill a little bit, being set up a little bit more for efficient shots. Like, why, why do you think that hasn't happened over the course of these past few?
1: Yeah, it's weird because they they did run a lot of it with Harden and Embiid in their first couple of games, and it looked pretty difficult, if not impossible, to stop. Um, I think what happened in the Nets game in particular is they did try to run that look a few times. And when Matisse Thibel is on the court, teams are just going to completely ignore him and send whoever's defending him as extra help. So the Nets were able to load up that side of the ball, have three defenders, and, you know, basically dare the Sixers to pass to a wide open Matisse Theibel, uh, who, you know, is, <laughs> despite his defensive gifts, is not a great three-point shooter. Um, <laughs> the Sixers, you know, they were experimenting with some looks where Matisse is screening for Harden, and they're running a two-man game with Matisse and Harden and like Matisse would cut to the basket and they were able to get a couple easy shots per game with that. We haven't seen a lot of that. So part of me is wondering, you know, like the the optimistic part of me is wondering whether they're just trying to workshop different sets in real time, because, you know, they've said like, we're, we are just learning all of this stuff on the fly. So maybe they know, okay, like we're pretty confident the Embiid pick and roll the Embiid Harden pick and roll can generate good offense more often than not. Like, let's figure out other things that work, even if it comes at the expense of maybe we do fall into a ten point second quarter deficit and we have to make that up later in the game. You know that, that's the optimistic take. The not so optimistic take is that they just have no idea what they're doing on the floor and like this is all <laughs> this is all just aimless and they're not learning any lessons that they can carry over into the playoffs.
0: Yeah. Like I, I, I tend to lean option one on, on this just because like they're, they're not stupid. Like I, I know there are a lot of doc rivers jokes and rock divers jokes that can be made, but like <laughs> they're, they're, they're not dumb. And they, they have two of the top premium talents in the NBA and you'd probably want them working together in a more cohesive unit if you possibly can just to make things easier for each other. Um, uh, it has looked pretty difficult over the past couple. But let's let's stick to more uh, for now. Just, I thought you made a good point about Embiid improving his weaknesses and being forced to improve his weaknesses. Kind of in a moment of difficulty for the team, Denver's been a lot like that too. Where without mm-hmm. Murray and without Porter, uh, the spacing and kind of the creation around Jokic has really suffered. There's just been so much less space than there has been in the past. They were a much better three-point shooting team last year. I continue to argue with my colleague Matt Moore about this that they're actually not a good three-point shooting team. Uh they're average. They're they're definitely they're definitely average and they're missing a couple really great guys uh, sure. that, on the perimeter. So Jokic being a, like what what he's done in place of that has taken to more of a bully ball approach inside as opposed to just settling and trying to wait for other people to cut, trying to wait for the perfect opportunity. Sometimes you're not going to get the perfect opportunity and you're just going to have to work through that at this point. But and he's, so he's made that work too and he's made the defensive part work too. Like it's just, he's a different player defensively this year and he's yeah. just smarter and more intelligent and and more dedicated to his craft I think. And we've seen that at different points in the game but it sort of feels like that's the way he feels like he can make up the most ground and it's really helped Denver that's for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I and that's what I think when people are trying to tear down both of these guys it's like well there aren't as many areas where you could tear down either one like that you know <laughs> Sixers fans in past years would say like oh well you know, Jokic is such a worse defender than Embiid and it's like you know he is still but the gap is narrowing, and you know, and like Jokic is a much better playmaker passer than Embiid. But again, like the gap is narrowing a bit now. they're the Sixers are never going to ask Embiid to you know average eight assists per game, especially now that they have James Harden. That's just like they, they are playing. It would be
0: dumb to do so. Like, yeah, yes, that's no <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, like they're playing two very different roles. But I think what's cool about both guys too is like their footwork unlocks so much of what both of them can do offensively. And it's just so rare for a seven footer to be able to do what either one of them could do. And yet they're both just, I mean, balletic, like they are incredible with their body control and their movement, their ability to generate space. Even if they're, you know, if they're in one-on-one, like you just good luck. You almost have to set a double team, but like you can't double team Jokic. And now, You you could double team Embiid, but now you've got James Harden or like Tyrese Maxey out there. Like, it's it's, they're putting their teams in such advantageous positions because of how gifted they are. And it's just like, you basically just have to, you know, there is no fully stopping either guy. It's like, just pick your poison of which is the least painful option that we are just willing to give up.
0: The Embiid step back this year, Uh, it's one of those moves that I think is just it's really impressive for a seven foot two guy to be able to do something like that. And, uh, to be able to move in that manner, uh, turning around and fading away and, and creating space, nobody can block that shot. And I think everybody in their right mind would live with that shot. If you're, if you're an opposing team, like if it's a 40 to 50% shot, then that's better than, than fouling him. That's for sure. But, uh, for a lot of these teams, uh, not being able to have any answer for something like that has meant their downfall and he's been really good in a lot of clutch situations as uh as it pertains to that and uh he just like like Jokic Jokic gets to the lane he gets to the paint creates open shots for himself and others and B does a lot of the same things takes away the paint in a lot of different ways like these guys are just they're they're Two of two right now is how yeah. I would probably describe them. And and Giannis, I think, is still in that category. We'll talk about him in the next segment just a little bit. Uh, but what these guys, like you said, they're so drastically different, and yet they've improved some of their weaknesses to look like the other just mm-hmm. a little bit. Like Jokic getting some game-winning blocks, uh, that's a big deal. That's, that's absolutely yeah. a big deal and a big narrative booster for sure. And B, being yeah. able to pass out of double teams and move the ball and then – Kind of like work off ball just as well as he works on ball at times. I think that absolutely works to his advantage too, and it's one of the things that Yoke chat over him that that the gap is narrowed, just like you said. So uh, this is going to be a fun MVP race down the stretch. Uh, both of these guys deserve all the credit in the world, and I would be remiss if I didn't speak to that at this first point because we're going to get into some more debate stuff. But like, I still think that. both deserve credit like it's one versus two or one versus three right now
1: yeah yeah i mean i think the only wrong mvp take at you know recording this march 13th the the day before uh the hopeful Jokic MVP battle the only wrong mvp take is that there is a clear mvp at this point in the season i think you could say there is a front runner but like there the gap is still narrow enough that Really, I mean, these two guys are going to battle it out, hopefully, for the next month, health permitting. But as you mentioned, Giannis is also lurking in the background like, hey, guys, I'm I'm putting up numbers equivalent to what I did in my two MVP seasons. Oh, (laughs) by the way, I'm getting Brooke Lopez back tomorrow. So, like, maybe we're about to go on a massive run and close out the regular season. And, like, you know, who knows? Maybe we get the number one seed. We're not that far back. Yeah
0: both Chen and Bede go 5 of 20 against each other tomorrow night and then <laughs> Bede goes for 50 uh, or uh, Giannis goes for 50 excuse me yeah. that would be the probably the funniest take of them all uh, <laughs> oh just because there's been so much buildup, and then they both suck uh, that would be so funny um, tell you what let's take a break we've, we've talked them up enough when we come back we'll parse out their cases as well as throw Giannis a bone here to uh, make sure to talk about him within this concept we will be Right back. Before we get back to the podcast with Brian, I want to talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sponsor of this podcast. The teams in the NCAA tournament have just been selected for the biggest tournament of the year. There's only a few days left to join in on all of the action before the first team tips off this Thursday. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a shot to bet just $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Yep, it's that simple. If they win, you win. Gonzaga is favored by a massive line over Georgia State. Duke, in the same brackets, favored over Fullerton. Arizona's uh, about to be favored over Wright State or Bryant. Uh, There's just so many different odds that you can go to on DraftKings, and they will give you the best possible odds that they can to make sure that you have an opportunity to win in some of these games. So if you're a new customer, you get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook. You can also get in on the action for college hoops with same-game parlays where you combine multiple bets from the same game together for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you win. It's that simple. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So make sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you do. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win, and get $200 in free bets. If they win, you win. With promo code MHS this week, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. The Jackson Roll Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support, everybody, on these last few episodes. The reviews are popping in. They've been great. If you could, it would be awesome if you could drop a five star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. That would be fantastic. Okay. I am joined today by Brian topork who also, I forgot to mention that you also write for Forbes and you do some great work contributing for Forbes as a Sixers writer, uh, but you've also written about the Jokic and Embiid debate in the past and in the present here. So uh, have you had any takeaways from over the course of these past two MVP runs for both of these guys that really stands out to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think last year's race was close up until Embiid got hurt and then, he, you know, he missed a ton of time and. Jokic rightfully ran away with it um, this year. Like again, health permitting, like I just want to see these guys stay healthy and battle this thing out until the final day of the regular season. Because you know, right now I like the betting markets favor MB, but ever so slightly. Like you know, I'm looking at FanDuel right now. Embiid's a minus 130, Jokic is a plus 140. So that that is like as neck and neck as this thing could be with a month left in the season. So I. I just hope for all of our sakes that we get to see this thing play out however it does, but, you know, play out until the final day of the regular season.
0: The odds are so close. That's, that's an absurd number, to be honest, to have both of those guys at that level, uh, just, just as even as they possibly are. Like you have a favorite, but it's not like Jokic is an underdog in that situation. (laughs) That's, that's insane. That's, that's a, that is a crazy, crazy gap between the two of them. Um, okay, so I want to use this next opportunity to talk about Embiid's advantages over Jokic versus Jokic's advantages over Embiid. Within these cases, uh, we're going to get into kind of the not the not the nitty gritty here, but just like, hey, where's the where are the gaps between these two? What are what are some of the holes that you can poke at the resume a little bit, and then kind of debate those and where their merits are and things like that. I think we should start with Embiid's advantages over Jokic. And I think the first thing that you have to start with is the scoring usage. Uh, it's not necessarily the efficiency, because I think the Jokic still trumps him there. But the scoring usage for a player like Embiid, when the alternative sometimes is an average role player, I think that gap matters at times. And when you have a guy that you can consistently throw it to and he will now, especially since like, since after he got COVID, he will consistently get you 35. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's important no matter how he gets it. And to be able to count on that every single night, sometimes Jokic will go for 20. Sometimes Jokic will go for 22. Sometimes Jokic will go for 17 and the assist numbers will balance that out. A lot of times that the points created categories, but it sometimes doesn't, and you, mm-hmm. you're very reliant on other people in that case to uh, hit the shots for you. So uh, that's that's probably the first thing that I would use is kind of Embiid's gap over Jokic is just him being the scorer that he is at the volume that he is does matter to me.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think like he had an objectively bad game tonight against Orlando. He was nine of twenty-eight from the field still point. finished with 35 points, 16 rebounds, and seven assists, two blocks, including, you know, a game-saving one uh, in the final minutes there. So, it's like, he's just redefined what, quote-unquote, bad games look like. You know, the, the Brooklyn blowout loss the other night, shot 5 of 17, but he had 27 points and 12 rebounds. Like, he was the only guy on the Sixers who showed up to that game. Um and, you know, there are some games, like, the, they played Chicago um, last Monday. Nikola Vucevic was out, so it was Tristan Thompson uh, and and um, Tony Bradley against Joel Embiid. Yeah, can, I remember
0: that one. That was a painful you, one.
1: <laughs> you can guess how that went. It ended with 43 points and 14 rebounds from Joel Embiid in 36 minutes. So, yeah, I mean, especially with Ben Simmons out, The way he had to manufacture points as much as he did, you know, really through the first three or four months of the season up until James Harden's arrival, like the the Sixers would be dead in the water without him. And that's not really a case for him over Jokic because you can absolutely say the same thing over Jokic. Um, you know, I, I a lot of these arguments you can make for both players, which is what's Crazy. difficult
0: about But it's the margins, right? Like, I think yeah. that's the important thing here is that when you're talking about the MVP, you're talking about in all likelihood, the first most impactful player versus the second most impactful player. And they're all going to be freaking great. It's right. just about kind of parsing between the details on this thing. And the margins are going to be small, but the margins oftentimes do matter when it comes down to, or when it comes to like a a building over time for an 82 game season, things like that.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned the free throws earlier and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it, especially as we preview uh, tomorrow's game as well. And like, I know how annoying it is for other fan bases. It's only gotten so much worse since they acquired James Harden as well, (laughs) but it is really important because, you know, Joe knows, that if he catches the ball in the deep post he's either going to score or he's going to get fouled he's going to have two free throw opportunities he's a great free throw shooter i mean how like when's the last time we saw a big man who can shoot the volume that he can and he's shooting almost 82 percent from the line this year actually i'm sure he's above 82 I 15 to 17 against the magic tonight so like the combination of the two it gives him insurance. Like, again, he shot nine of 28 from the field tonight ended with 35 points because he manufactured 15 points from the free throw line. And it adds, you know, especially with Harden now, like they're getting teams in the bonus, like four or five minutes into a quarter. And if you start getting, you know, if the, the opposing big, like God forbid, Jokic picks up two quick fouls tomorrow, Ooh. you know, that just means, okay, now it's Embiid versus the backup big for however many minutes unless the coach is just like oh, not doing that we're just going to risk a foul trouble so i mean it just puts teams in such a difficult situation and then once they get into the bonus all of a sudden all these non-shooting fouls turn into more free throw attempts so it's you know i understand it is not an aesthetically pleasing style of basketball but it's effective and you know last i checked they don't hand out like most fun, best league pass team award. Like the Larry O'Brien Trophy goes to the team that scores more points than the other team. Free throws are a very easy way to manufacture points, especially if your offense is in a run.
0: A hundred percent. And I, I'm sitting here cringing at various yeah. points through that. Yeah. More, more so because, man, it, like I just can't ever imagine like there because there are some plays like I watched Embiid tonight go up for a defensive rebound and then get fouled on the wrist and then like fall down. Uh, (laughs) Like, like no, nobody went near his legs. Like nobody was even near his legs at that point. I also watched him on a play where he didn't get touched. Just kind of like catch the ball and then fall to the ground while he was passing to somebody like hoping to get the call because there was somebody in the vicinity of him. And from like, I, I wouldn't call myself an objective viewer anymore, just because I feel like I have a subjective bias in this but subjectively, it is annoying uh, sure. because I know how talented he is and I know how good he is. And having to resort to that at times feels almost cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and like I, I know there are a lot of people that feel this way. And I, I don't think I'm breaking any news here when I talk about <laughs> it in those, in those terms. Um, those free throws will eventually dry up at various points. And there are going to be some teams that avoid fouling him. And there are going to be some nights where even if he goes 15 of 17, that the five of 17 or the nine of 28, like it was tonight, that might matter more. And because when we talk about the possession aspect of this, like you just, you score a certain amount of points on a certain number of possessions. And if it's not at a requisite rate, then you're probably going to lose. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's probably the, the case against him from the scoring usage standpoint, as we compare to Jokic here. Jokic is up over, I think, 65% true shooting right now. I should have made sure to check where Embiid was right now, but um, Embiid is at 61% true shooting. So look, 61% is great. It is a really, really good number. And yet the margins do matter. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that's where we. I'm kind of at with this is that the scoring on one hand goes to Embiid because of the volume. And when you're going to take the ball away, I think, from lesser players who are not going to hit that efficiency versus sometimes you need to share the ball with others if you're generating good shots for other people. And if you have a higher efficiency with your own shots as a result, then maybe that matters too. I don't know. Like, I think both of them, like they're they're both kind of impactful in that regard.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, and B, you can't guard one-on-one. Or there are very few players who can guard him one-on-one, even like the Marcus Gasols and the Al Horfords from a few years ago. It doesn't work now because he's improved so much as a face-up shooter that was like the big leap he took last year he used to just be mostly a back-to-the-basket guy and that's why you know when teams would send doubles at him he wouldn't see it coming and you know he was sloppy with the ball turned it over a ton he's tightened up his dribble he faces up more so he sees what's coming he has just better iq better vision you know, knows where guys are supposed to be and knows who's going to cut like, okay, if this guy doubles and I'm going to pass to this wide open guy or pass to this guy who's going to kick it out to the, the guy you know, further down. So that's been an improvement that he's made. Um, and I, I think knowing that, you know, he is going to draw doubles and, you know, he and Harden and like, this is going to be one of the big things for them over the next month is like, you have to learn to trust your teammates, and your teammates have to be ready to shoot the ball when it comes to you. Which is definitely a subtweet of Tobias Harris, although he was much better in that regard.
0: It was pretty good tonight. It was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, but that, I he mean, that a, was he was a key first, three.
1: <laughs> it was his first good game since Harden yeah. has come. Like I just wrote about him earlier today. Like they, they basically just need him to be a hundred and eighty million dollar role player, which you know begs some long term questions about his role in Philadelphia, but. Can't do anything about that now, but like you know, that they've been begging these guys because, again, like what we saw with the Nets on Thursday, if they're going to send three guys at the Harden and B pick and roll, that that means you're going to have three guys and only two guys defending them. So, someone is wide open, you just need to figure out who that is and get the ball to them quickly.
0: Other sort of embed advantages over Jokic right now, and we could talk about these if you want to, we don't have to talk about them. Uh, Traditional rim protection, I think, is one area where Embiid definitely dwarfs Jokic in a lot of ways, just Mm -hmm. because he's a little bit more imposing. Jokic can sometimes catch people unaware, uh, but if they are aware, then usually Jokic doesn't serve as that much of a rim protector. And if they have a good floater, then that sort of changes the equation entirely because you don't have to take it into his body. Um, Embiid's team record over Jokic is a slight advantage right now. They're 40 and 25. Uh, or no, 41 and 25 right now, the mm-hmm. Nuggets are 40 and 28. So it's two and a half games, or it's two games, uh two games technically, but like it's three up in the loss column. That might change uh tomorrow and it might change by the end of the season. But for now, like, I think there is a slight margin in the favor of the Sixers, especially for the games that Embiid has played. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then narrative is the other one. And I think that there are a lot of people that, are going to be hard-pressed to give Jokic a second MVP trophy in a row, unless it's definitive. And if there is another guy who is equally as deserving, they may default to picking the other guy. Uh, This was, I think, how Nuggets fans felt last year, where there were a lot of arguments for Jokic, and it sort of felt like by the end of the year there was a lot of grasping at straws to figure out the arguments against Jokic to give it to somebody else. (laughs) Right, right. I don't know if that's actually what happened for people. It ultimately ended up with 91 first place votes. So I'm not really like trying to stir up shit or anything like that. (laughs) It sort of of felt like that, at least publicly uh, through the media in a lot of different ways.
1: I think the media in general just wants close races that we can debate up until the final game of the regular season. And once Embiid got hurt, it was pretty clearly Jokic, but you're just trying to manufacture like, Oh, well, could LeBron come out of nowhere at the end? It's no, no. Jokic has a gigantic lead. So last
0: year, the one that got me was Chris Paul. That was, that was the one that really irritated (laughs) me for obvious reasons.
1: Sure. Yeah, no, that would do it. Uh, Yeah. I mean like, I, the margins between—I know you've been hammering this point—and it's correct. Like right now, the Sixers are the two seed, and the Nuggets are the six seed. But the top five seeds in the East are so variable. They're you know four games separating one from five right now. So like when we're discussing these arguments, like just park that until the final day of the regular season because we have no idea where these teams are going to end up in the East. Like I, I'm fairly confident the Denver Nuggets will not be the number one seed in the West. I'm going to go ahead and guess the Phoenix Suns will clinch that sooner than later. And, you right. know, it feels like probably the four seed is their ceiling, but I'm with you in thinking like just overall record should be the barometer rather than, oh, well, this team's the two seed and this team's the six seed. Well, if they have identical records, who cares? Or like you know- That's
0: that's kind of where I was at with this. And I wanted to get your take on it just because like if Denver finishes a 50 and 32 and philly finishes a 51 and 31 i don't know how to really parse between that when denver hasn't had some of their guys and philly didn't have simmons but now has harden and they're playing in a tough a tough eastern conference i just i'm just joking I, i do that every time uh but like uh the margins for a lot of these teams, it's just basically been Phoenix and then everybody else right now. And to me, it's just like everybody else from two to 12 is basically in the same tier until they prove to me. Otherwise I think the golden state warriors are in another tier. And I do think the Milwaukee bucks, like if they get back, Brooke Lopez are probably at another tier, but I, for now, like everybody from two to 12 is basically in the same place. I do. Do you think of these teams as drastically different from like a strength perspective, despite the record?
1: No, I, I don't. And I think there's a very good chance. We'll talk about the game uh, next segment, but like there's a, a very good chance that Nuggets gets come in and beat the pants off the Sixers tomorrow, especially coming now that they're coming yeah. off a of back-to-back against Orlando. Um, so no, like team record overall, I, I don't think it should be a factor now. Like we'll see where these two teams end up. And if there is a sizable gap, then you can factor it in. But if we are assembling MVP cases, if we are to assume the season ended today, you're saying make your best MVP case for Dewell and Embiid. I am not bringing up, oh, well, they're 41 and 25, and the Nuggets are 40 and 28. Like, if anything, <laughs> you bring up, you know, like, okay, they're 37 and 17 with Embiid in the lineup. The Nuggets are 38 and 23 with Jokic in the lineup. So, like, basically the same number of wins, a couple more losses for the Nuggets. But again, like, both teams have been missing key personnel for most, if not all of the season. So like, I don't want to penalize Nikola Jokic for not having Jamal Murray all season and Michael Porter Jr. for most of the season. And I don't want to penalize Joel Embiid for having a teammate who quit on him for four months. And like, you know, I think that's going to be one of the things if the Sixers can figure this thing out on the fly, now that they do have James Harden, you know, like hopefully Murray and Porter come back at some point before the end of the regular season. But like, I can't imagine the Nuggets are going to throw those guys in for 35 minutes a night right away. Like I'm guessing it will be a slow ramp up. So like the Sixers have an opportunity to get some separation from the Nuggets. And, you know, if you look at their rest of the schedule throughout March, it's brutal. Like they play nothing but good teams. So they'll have some opportunities for marquee wins a couple on national TV. Denver is on ESPN tomorrow night. And then the Lakers is on ESPN next week. Well, whatever maybe, the Lakers
0: count as at this point. Yeah. I
1: mean, maybe Anthony Davis is back by that point. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, who, who knows? Who knows? Uh but, You know, they also play Cleveland, Dallas, Toronto, Miami, Clippers, Phoenix, and Milwaukee this month. So like, right. if they not only break even, but like, rip off a pretty good stretch during that chunk of games that could give him even more of a narrative advantage. Cause after that, like they end the season two against Detroit, two against Indiana, one against Charlotte, Cleveland, and Toronto. Like if they don't, if there isn't a sizable gap between Jokic and Embiid after that Milwaukee game, his opportunities to do that, unless he's like stat padding against the Pistons are slim to none.
0: It's going to be very interesting. I, I always look forward to uh, where these things come from and what we're going to see from both of these guys. Really quickly, because we hit on Embiid's kind of advantages over Jokic, uh, Jokic's advantages over Embiid here. Really quick, I think the playmaking is the obvious one, uh, just mm-hmm. from like the playmaking, not just the the talent and the volume, but more of the responsibility uh, because Denver like Monte Morris right now is their, their point guard technically. And Will Barton is their shooting guard. And neither of those guys I think are as good as Tyrese Maxey. And it's it's sad because I really wanted Tyrese Maxey in the draft. Uh, He was selected exactly one pick before the nuggets Mm. came up to the board. And I think he would have been selected, honestly, had they had the opportunity to do so, but uh, like Denver is relying on, guys who are solid and guys who are uh, mostly kind of fringe starters, not necessarily the the strongest of starters. I think that Monte Morris has been Denver's second best player for a while now here, which I think probably tells you where the supporting cast is at for, for a lot of this, but uh, Jokic has had such a responsibility of not just being the first option, but also being the playmaker and the, the lead ball handler and facilitator for a lot of these guys. And, it's been taxing on him. Sometimes he does both of the things well. I think most of his responsibility is if he doesn't do both things well, then Denver loses. And at this point, that's just like, if he doesn't have dominance, then Denver's completely at a disadvantage in, in so many of these games and so many of these stints. Um, I think as a part of that, uh, along with the steals, along with the volume rebounding, I guess the rebounding margin is, like it, it's not something I really think about, but like thirteen point eight versus eleven point two isn't like insignificant. Yeah. Um. Although I I do think that it's more of like their roles probably in all likelihood, but I, it's it's not an insignificant gap there. Um. And the the advanced metrics I think really play into that yeah. too, where you have a lot of these one number metrics, but also the the data, the on-off data in a lot of cases that has favored Jokic in a lot of ways as kind of the sole prop up of what the Nuggets are at this point. Where with Embiid, I think he has been fantastic, but they've been able to get by in some ways with the bench lineups that they've had. And, and now that you add James Harden to the mix, there there's that's even going to shrink in all likelihood.
1: Yeah, I wrote before Harden's debut, I wrote a column at Forbes asking like, is he going to be good or bad for Embiid's MVP case? Because I honestly wasn't sure. And there were arguments to be made like, yeah, okay, Embiid should have easier opportunities to score. So, and, you know, after the Minnesota game, he like went spoke to the Sixers broadcast team. It's was like,
0: I've never been this
1: wide open in my life, which was just like an <laughs> awesome sub that's, that's That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just an immediate middle finger to Ben Simmons. Um, yeah. But, you know, then again, like Ed Harden is touching the ball on almost every possession in the half court and like would he cut into Joel's shot volume. And you know, we haven't really seen that yet. Like it's still Joel's still getting his, but there have been some plays where he looks less engaged. I know Zach Lowe of ESPN has pointed this out where it's like if Harden and Matisse or Harden and Maxi are running some pick and roll action and Embiid's on the other side of the floor, like Harden Embiid's just like, oh, good, I'm not going to really, I'm just going to keep my hands on my knees and like check out of this possession. Um, but no, I'm with you. Like the advanced metrics, I think, are the number one with a bullet case for Jokic over Embiid this season. Like I don't care what metric you pick. Jokic is almost certainly at the top of it. And it's not just he's at the top, like he's at the top and there's a big gap between him and anyone else. And then it's like usually Embiid and Giannis and Steph and John Morant and DeMar DeRozan in some order, like Rudy Gobert might be in there for a couple of them, but like, yeah, we don't count (laughs) that. But, but like, it's, you know, like Jokic is like a 14. And then the next closest guy is like 9.5. It's like, Okay. Well, you know, you, each individual advanced metric has its flaws, but like when all of them are saying one thing, it's like, mm, you might have to give more credence to that. But I did want to ask you this because, you know, like I noticed this around the mid season, Mark. Um, and I asked a couple of stats guys, like, what is fueling this? Like, why is Jokic so favored by these metrics? And, you know, they explained to me in part, like a lot of these metrics, weight based on position and like expectations based on position. So this happened with Russ a couple of years ago in his MVP season, because we saw right. like similar, he's breaking these metrics types of things. And so like for a point guard, if you rebounded a high volume, which he did in his triple double season, that just breaks how these things work. And so for Jokic, like because he is such a high volume assist creator, um, that is like influencing how these metrics view him. But, you know, like a lot – some of these are saying, like, this is the best offensive season in NBA history. So, like, (laughs) where do you stand on this? Like, do you think some of the metrics are, like, overvaluing him a bit because of that positional factor? Or or is this one of the best, like, offensive seasons in NBA history and we are not recognizing it nationally like we should?
0: It's hard for me to tell. I think just just taking the number – like, strictly the – the points, rebounds, assist numbers like I don't think anybody's ever had 25, 13 and eight before. Like, I yeah, don't think anybody's yeah. ever going to have that unless like some other uh, unbelievable player just kind of uh, Victor Wembanyama just averages eight blocks or something <laughs> like that when he comes out of France. Um I don't know. Like, I, I think. It's the it's probably the combination of the production and the efficiency to me that I think really puts it over the top because among the players right now that have played at least thirty minutes a night, Jokic is fourth in true shooting, and the other three guys are Robert Williams, Rudy Gobert, and Jared Allen. What do those guys have in common? They only shoot one <laughs> type of shot. Like they yeah. they are only going to shoot around the rim they're only going to get free throws and also their usage rates respectively are 11.2 16.5 and 17.7 yokages is 30.4 and to be able to carry that as well as carry the playmaking while being a like, he's still a pretty good decision maker the turnovers have like are, i say pretty good he's he's one of the best decision makers of all time but right uh, <laughs> right Like, I I don't want to belittle him uh, because (laughs) his assist to turnover is only 2.16. But like, Uh, like as, as, oh man, really, really what a travesty right there. But we've never seen somebody pass at the level that he has. And so like box plus minus, I think is the stat that you're referencing here that really is more biased towards uh, a lot of these bigs that will pass more or it's Mm -hmm. biased towards guards that will rebound more. I think what we talk about with this is just a player that can do everything is generally going to be more celebrated by these metrics. Like if you Mm -hmm. don't have a weakness that can really be picked out by these metrics, then you're going to benefit from it in a lot of different ways. And for a, a guy like Embiid he doesn't have as many weaknesses anymore. He doesn't like, like being able to get to the free throw line in the way that he does makes up for some of the field goal percentage stuff, which I don't think we, it's, it's not that big of a deal anymore. And mm-hmm. then the passing is another factor where his turnover percentage, I'm pretty sure has actually gone down if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and he's actually passing at just a better and more efficient level. Mm-hmm. So he has vaulted into this uh Impressive zone from an efficiency and like an advanced metric standpoint, too, because like we've talked about before, he improved his weaknesses and became a more kind of well rounded player in a lot of different ways. Jokic, I think, is just he doesn't have a weakness offensively. Like, I I don't know where it comes from. Like, he shoots efficiently from everywhere on the courts. He's shooting an average three point percentage right now, but he doesn't necessarily take a ton of them. Have you seen his shot chart? like just from like the, the inside the arc is all green yeah. and for, for, for Embiid and for Giannis, I think as, as we kind of, I, I want to throw him a bone here. Um, yes. Both of those guys are more in the yellow in terms of their shooting efficiencies from that zone ball. Jokic is shooting, I think above 50% from long twos, but he's shooting like 59% on inside the paints, uh, but outside the restricted area, Gosh. which is just bonkers nobody does that that's insanity like the floaters that he has in his bag that's like a Rashawn holmes level floater and nobody has a Rashawn holmes level floater that's that's like (laughs) talking about some of the the best of all time here so i uh i think that's why that's probably the the biggest reason that i can give uh Mm. but it does feel like not having a weakness is the biggest reason but he's just at the a hundred hundred Good Lord. He's at the a hundredth percentile in a lot of different categories or close to it.
1: Yeah. Like with Embiid, you will double team him and live with him passing out to an open teammate. That is not a choice with Jokic. You cannot double team him because he's going to just create something out of nothing. Like Embiid right. has improved as a playmaker. You're right. His turnover percentage is a career low assist percentage by far career high. Still like, again, he's approved nowhere near the floor vision of Jokic. Like I'm celebrating him making the right read out of a short roll. That is progress for MB. Jokic is throwing passes that you, I like even if I was playing 2K, I wouldn't have been able to do them. And he is just like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm going to throw this like over my head or like throw a touchdown pass before, and it was against the Warriors the other day, right? Like like he just throws an entire full court bomb before they even got set. Like he's just, how do you do this when you're a man that size? It's unbelievable.
0: Giannis, I think, deserves at least more mention than we've given him. He does yes. feel to me like he's third, at least in the narrative race, for sure. The stats and the numbers, I think we need to just compare them side by side to Joel Embiid. I think that they're like almost identical from yeah. what I understand, from what I'm looking at Uh Giannis has done such a good job of improving his three-point percentage to the point that he's not considered as much of a liability out there as he previously was. And there's also the turnaround fadeaways from the mid-range and and being able to establish that as kind of a 1A scorer for for just a championship-caliber team. He's been able to carry them through a lot of different uh, struggles for Chris Middleton. While also not having Brooke Lopez for the entire season. Like what he's done has been incredible and he definitely deserves credit for that. I I do think that he is third though in this race.
1: Yeah. And the betting markets very clearly agree. Like I mentioned, you know, Embiid's a minus 30, Jokic is a plus 140, Giannis is a plus 700. So there's a sizable gap between these two and Giannis. And then the next closest is John Morant at plus 3000. So like the, the odds makers see this as a three team or a three guy race, but really a two man race. And for Giannis, it almost feels like he entered that LeBron tier where it's like, you just expect him to average somewhere between 28 and 30 points between 11 and 12 rebounds, like around six assists per game. It's like, he has made improvements. And because of Brooke Lopez's injury, he's had to play a much different defensive role than he has in years past. But unless you're paying close attention to that every night, you aren't really seeing it. Like if you're just looking at the box score numbers, it's like, oh, oh hum, he's doing the same thing he's done for the past couple of years. It's like, well, you know, he won MVP two of those years. So he should be in this in this mix. But I agree. I think between like that and just the championship, like he's now earned this new level of respect where it's like you have to make another major level up. And I don't know what that is outside of like suddenly becoming a high volume or much more accurate three-point shooter. Um, And one more thing on the narrative thing for Embiid, like part of me thinks, I don't know if this is a conscious thing or a subconscious thing, but I do wonder how much of this is, we know we're going to get more seasons like this from Giannis. And honestly, we're probably going to get more seasons like this from Jokic because, you know, he isn't, as predicated on just like pure raw athleticism as a Joel Embiid. Right. With Embiid, you know, like it's always in the back of your mind, just like, is this guy a ticking time bomb? Like, you know, he missed the first two seasons of his career. He's yet to play more than 70 games in a season. A couple of those seasons were abridged. So that's not his fault, but, you know, he's still going to miss at least like 10 to 15 games per year. Like, I do wonder if there's, somewhat of a push like if this thing is close to just give it to him to just recognize like all right man you were you were awesome this season and like we don't know if we're ever going to see this out of you again for a full season so let's reward it now while we still can
0: I do think one of the things historically for these guys is that Giannis has now achieved two MVPs he has a defensive player of the year and now he has a finals MVP ring on his resume Jokic has been the first team All NBA center for a couple of years now. He has the MVP. I think Embiid kind of lacking in the awards race, st- like stuff the accolades for sure, mm-hmm. and he's lacking more to the degree than I think that he probably should, uh, just because like the the level of talent that he is, the level of player that he is. You like he shouldn't necessarily be stuck on second team or third team or or off All NBA ballots because of. The centers that we have every year. Another reason to make this positionalist. By the way, <laughs> right. um, I keep saying positionalist. I should definitely say positionless. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, um, but yeah, like I, I think he deserves to be recognized for sure. What he's done to help prop up the Sixers during the Simmons fiasco uh, with all of the process stuff that then became like the Colangelo stuff, and it's just. There's been a lot of things that have gone against him and and stopped him from having a normal development and normal kind of track (laughs) up to stardom and superstardom. He deserves to be credited. And yet, as somebody who supports Jokic and as somebody who wants the best for him, like so often he is, I think we're we're seeing less of this now, but there's often been a lot of reasons to not talk about him. Mm -hmm. Uh, that have been brought up on these national outlets. Like, oh, when you talk about Denver, it just doesn't provide ratings. Or Jokic's game just isn't sexy. Or these guys aren't going to win a championship. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think to myself, man, like that shouldn't be the reason to deny celebrating what is a spectacular one-of-one style player. Like he's going to be this guy. He's going to be the, probably the most unique player that we've had in this generation. And when you talk about players of that nature, like Kareem was the first unique player in the 70s, uh, 60s, and 70s. And then it was Magic. And then it was Jordan. And then it was LeBron. And then it was Steph. And now we're at, like, I think that Jokic has a chance to be, like, kind of the evolutionary player for this. And so it's one of the reasons why I want him credited in that regard. However, there only can be one MVP. And if it goes to Embiid, I'm not gonna whine and complain about it. I think that they're like everybody has to have their own proper ways that they go about this and, and like say, hey, give give it an actual argument versus like, oh, he's just the most dominant big man we've ever seen. Like I think that Jokic is also has a case for being the most dominant big man we've ever, like, like we've seen over the course of this past decade and a half. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they just they dominate in different ways, but they are both incredibly dominant players and their teams, you know, I know Nuggets fans at times like tend to dedicate supporting cast, but like without Jokic, the Nuggets would be lottery bound, possibly like, you know, vying for number one overall pick caliber. And, you know, without MB this year, especially with Simmons holding out for as long as he did, Sixers would be right there with him. Like we'd be having very yeah. different conversations about both of these teams without these two guys.
0: I don't know, man. Andre Drummond was doing pretty well. Like that's, that's crazy. He was. I uh, miss him. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry about the Andre Jordan, by the way. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah uh, I'm sorry.
1: Well, that's, uh, that's what you get when you have Doc Rivers as your coach.
0: <laughs> um, tell you what I, I've kept you for too long, but I do want to take a break and then preview the game specifically tomorrow. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to probably spend about 10 minutes on tomorrow's game. What we can expect. pickaxe and roll final segment here joined today by brian toporek make sure to follow his work on the sixers at Bleacher reports at forbes everything that he does everything that he works with on the on the nba pod as well with morton stick jensen like both of those both you guys are fantastic and you cover the league from a very strong holistic view and i love your awards races pods i think i think Ah. those do really well and Thank you. so as we continue to get into some of these award races like i think uh where there's going to be some good content to be had for mort and, and you especially so yeah please
1: sure. please everyone if you enjoy the awards pods please tweet it more and tell him that because he hates them but i i like i love them i think they're a fun way to like do a snapshot of where we are in the season like we usually do it every quarter of the season or so and it's fun to see how these things evolve because like you Know, I, I he picked Embiid as his MVP coming into the season, and like a month into the season, we were joking, like, man, I that ticket's gone, like, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tough pick, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you know, now here we are.
0: Crazy, crazy how things change with time, man. Steph was just on another level at that point, and uh, yeah. And uh, now he's now he's just human, I guess. And right. Maybe maybe right. not. We'll we'll just have to love we'll to see when Draymond comes back. That's my. Hey, speaking of which, Draymond's going to come back on March 14th. Like I'm not going to yeah. be able to watch that game at all. <laughs> that's going <laughs> no. to be crazy. I'm I'm very curious to see what he ends up doing and how they look because I, I just got to see them twice uh, with mm-hmm. their guys and without their guys in Denver. And their lineup with Curry, Clay, and Pool is just. Unbelievable, yeah. it, the way that they space out for each other and attack, and they're all so dynamic. Jordan Pool is a, just a, a fantastic player, and he is going to get a massive contract. I think, like, I think he turned down like a four eighty extension in uh, the off season, or like, like in the middle of the season, or something like that. He might get more. Like, there's, there's going to be a team I think that should pay him and should pay him starter money for sure.
1: Yeah, I don't get why he's not getting more. Most improved player love, like because he's been doing this a whole season but isn't that the point because yeah. it took a massive leap and he's now solidified himself it's like oh this guy's actually really important for possibly the biggest threat to the phoenix suns that are out there this season
0: he's really really good uh just very impressed with i think they're they're still quite clearly my second leading contender uh yeah. although they will have to go through phoenix in all likelihood so yes okay So I'm just going to run through quick questions here and we will uh, we will just, just go rapid fire on this so we can get you out of here. Um, How are Philly fans reacting to this game?
1: (laughs) Nervous, I think would be the right answer, especially given if you asked me this like five days ago, I would have a different answer for you. But after what happened against the Brooklyn game where there was this huge buildup and then, you know, seeing them struggle with, The Magic, who are very much a bottom feeder, uh, not great, I I would guess. Um, You know, I think with the Nets game, you asked earlier, like, what went wrong? And aside from everything, it did feel like, and Doc and Harden and Tobias, who all said this after the game, you know, they weren't moving the ball around. It felt like everyone wanted to do it themselves. Like, Embiid came out and just wanted to single-handedly destroy the Nets. And Harden, because of the bad blood that he had on his exit, wanted to come out and drain like six step back threes in the face of Kyrie Irving and then probably inject him with the COVID vaccine at halftime. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, I worry about that tomorrow night as well. Like Embiid knows what's at stake here. He knows if he has a monster game or if Jokic has a monster game and he has a bad game, like that is going to swing the narrative of this MVP race. So I worry that he gets a little too in his head about it and, you know, tries to single-handedly take over at the expense of his teammates.
0: I think Jokic is probably thinking about it less than Embiid is probably thinking about it. Um, yeah. Just because I, I, I honestly believe that Jokic doesn't want to win the MVP and that there is, <laughs> there is some possibility that he like, cause he, he called Embiid the best, uh, the best of the NBA on uh, uh last night. And I was, I was very surprised about not actually, no, I wasn't surprised about that because at, at every certain point he tries to deflect the spotlight. He really doesn't like it. And I think there's been a lot of pressure that has come with being the reigning MVP this year. And I'm not sure he really enjoys that uh, to the group degree, but that's just a, like, he'll still going to, he's still going to try and he's still going to try to play right. well, but <laughs> it's it's not going to be the be all end all to him. That it will probably be for all of nuggets, Twitter. Um <laughs> <laughs> Will Harden and Embiid play? I think I, I, I think I asked you this at the beginning, but yeah, I'm, it's just hopeful.
1: I'm cautiously yeah. hopeful. I I didn't see if they discussed it after the game tonight, but let's let's keep our fingers crossed that they are.
0: What would be the fallout if Embiid rested? Oh god!
1: <laughs> uh, what do you mean. I would have more Nuggets fans in my mentions be like, oh, be ducked him again. And this, like, somehow became the narrative, even though I think he missed last season's game because he had COVID. Or like, what, uh, he like, missed what one of his... them
0: because he had COVID, and I think he missed one of them because he had injury. So, yeah, like, yeah. he doesn't – like, there's nothing There's nothing wrong with that. Um, right. I don't – I just – I think Nuggets fans, given how much – both fan bases have gone back and forth at each other. Like you want some way to pressure release some of that pumped up (laughs) adrenaline and, and there's no good way to do it. If one of them is not healthy and the other is, uh, or one of them is being held out due to COVID protocols. Like there's, there's just nothing Embiid could have done about that. Obviously. Um, But hey, like I want to see it. I think Abid wants to see it. I think Jokic wants to see it. And I think these guys want to go against each other and see where they stand. I think it's going to be a measuring stick game for both of them, honestly. Yeah. Um, How have the Sixers fared on back to backs this season?
1: It's honestly like hard to say because you almost just want to throw out everything now that Harden's in the on the team. Like everything prior to the All Star break doesn't matter. Cause this is a brand new team. And like the really the only, I think the only back-to-back they played since Harden came was this uh, Cleveland and then Miami where, you know, Harden didn't play um, the, the Miami game and they, they just couldn't, they had zero offense all night. So, you know, I like they, they had a back-to-back, um, Right before the All Star break, OKC and Cleveland. And that was the game where Embiid, Cleveland was the second night, uh, and Embiid had uh, 40, 14, and 10 against Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. So, like, he he is able to play in back to backs, which is something that was not true early in his season or early in his uh, career, I should say. Um, But yeah, it's like, honestly, it's like these two, this team is so different now that you just basically have to throw out everything before February 25th. So now we're working with an eight game sample size. And one of those games Harden didn't play.
0: Gotcha. Um, Health wise, like unless they rest, I assume that everybody's mostly good to go on the Sixer side of things. Um, Have there been any major rotation players that have been sitting lately? Danny Green has a finger laceration.
1: Um, I, It doesn't sound all that serious, but I think Kyle Newbeck of Philly Voice reported he'd be out for about a week, so I don't know if he's going to play tomorrow night. I would be surprised. Um, But yeah, he's he's really the only major rotation player barring any late surprises here.
0: Okay. And on Denver side of things, Jamal and, and MPJ obviously are not going to be for that one. Uh, Aaron Gordon missed last game they I think they rested him honestly and then got mm. burned because he probably could have been used against the Toronto Raptors when Denver mm. was trying to have whether well, they're trying to box out Chris Boucher with Bryn Forbes uh, oh. that didn't that didn't go very well <laughs> no. uh, for obvious reasons Chris Boucher had nine offensive rebounds um, oh <laughs> yeah it was it was kind of a that was like. There were a lot of people that were saying, "Oh, yeah, Scotty Barnes just demolished Jokic." No, the reason they won the game was because Chris Boucher had nine offensive rebounds against Bryn Forbes and Will Barton. Like, this is not hard, folks.
1: <laughs> it's well, just not... on the bright side, the Sixers, at least prior to Harden's arrival, were one of the worst rebounding teams in the NBA. So there you go. Yeah, and can...
0: Harden improved that.
1: Yeah, well, he's had seven, seven point huh. one so far interesting game this year. Uh, but, yeah, I mean he's, he's
0: definitely a better individual rebounder. I'm just surprised that that helped the team rebounding as much as it, it probably I, did.
1: Yeah, I actually haven't checked where they over this very small 8 game sample size sure, where they are. Sure. Um yeah. but I would I would assume they're at least not. I think they were 29th overall this year. So, I'm going to guess they are slightly better in that regard. But yeah, they're still not a great rebounding team.
0: At full strength, who has the better starting five? Uh, you've got the Sixers with Harden, Maxey, I or is it Danny Green? Are they they starting Danny Green in that situation?
1: It's interchangeable, but they've been going with Teibel.
0: Okay. Teibel, Tobias, Harris, Embiid versus the Nuggets with Murray, Barton, Porter, Gordon, and Jokic.
1: I think the Sixers have definitely two of the three best players the Nuggets have the better starting five though, because Bible yeah. is such a non factor on offense. Like they've started to figure out a couple things that work with him and Harden in particular, but it's still very raw and inconsistent game to game. And you know, the, the amount that teams can just ignore him offensively. Like they are often playing four on five on that end of the floor. Whereas the Nuggets, like there isn't that weak spot. And, you know, I remember, like, I know. Speaking of small eight-game sample sizes, like I remember the post-Aaron Gordon trade, pre-Jamal Murray injury nuggets last year, and you guys look amazing. So, you know, hopefully we get to see that again at some point, but like based on that eight-game sample size, that, that eight-game sample size looks a lot more impressive than this Sixers' eight-game sample size.
0: Man, I, I miss it so much. I, really I don't did, blame you. It made things so much more easy for everybody where Jokic didn't have to carry the scoring on his shoulders. He could have the spacing to operate in the post and Will Barton was getting like the worst perimeter defender and now he's getting the best perimeter defender on him all the time. So yeah. it's just like, it's, everything has changed without Murray and Porter, but uh, it's, it's just one of those things. Like you just got to deal with it. Yeah. Um, which team does this matter to more narrative-wise?
1: I think the Sixers. Yeah. And, I mean, I I think they are trying to wash the bad taste out of their mouth from the Brooklyn game. And honestly, you know, going to overtime against the Magic is not a great yeah. sign either. And, you know, I think overall, they're just still trying to feel their way out with Harden. And so, like, every single game, you know, with, this is game 60-something of the regular season. So most teams are like, Already talking about resting players and preparing for the playoffs and the Sixers like, hey, we need to get more than four plays that we can run at one time. So we like we actually need these games to get up to speed before the playoffs start.
0: Will tomorrow's game decide the MVP race?
1: No. I, I no? mean unless unless one of these guys gets hurt, which I okay. really hope does not happen, but yeah. I think it it could swing. Like if, you know, if Jokic just absolutely annihilates Embiid, then maybe we wake up Tuesday morning and he's the front runner in Vegas markets and Embiid's not. But again, like, I just think this thing is so close right now that it's potentially going to swing on a game-to-game basis. But, you know, if, like, even if the Nuggets dominate the Sixers tomorrow and Jokic crushes Embiid and then, you know, like I mentioned the six-year schedule for the rest of March, if they go on and beat the Raptors, the Mavericks, the Cavs, you know, the, the Suns, the Bucks, and Embiid has monster games, and some of those are on national television, okay, you can excuse like, all right, you know, early in Harden's tenure, or whatever, like maybe they're still getting a feel for it. Or, you know, vice versa, if MB dominates Jokic and then Jokic goes on to average like a 35-point triple-double the rest of the way, it's like, all right, it's one game and half of his team is hurt. Who cares?
0: I think that's probably the right take. I know that there are going to be a lot of people that react pretty strongly to this one, uh, just yeah. like there were a lot of people that reacted pretty strongly to Thursday night's game against, against the Nets. So there, there's going to be a lot of that for sure. Uh, I would be surprised if it was like – Purely like like if they both played really well, and then you just have them going back and forth, and like one of them gets the last shot, and then that guy hits it, then that's probably the best outcome for both of those guys. Is just like, yeah, hey, you both showed out, uh, it's not a big deal. Like if both of you are extremely dominant, and then the MVP race goes on. That's probably what I think will happen, or somewhere close to that. Like, I would not want uh I mean, unless it's Jokic absolutely thrashing a bead, but I (laughs) would want uh, just like a a one-sided affair in that regard. Just because I I feel like it's, I want both of these guys to showcase their talents and and showcase how dominant and great they are in their own spectacular ways. Uh, Mm -hmm. We didn't really get that in the All Star game. Like they they kind of had that little brief. Uh two-minute stretch where they were going back and forth and chucking up threes at each other. But other than that, like, who cares? Like, they didn't even go to the post against each other.
1: Right. Oh, well, I will say this. Given how the Sixers' defense has looked, especially lately, I have more confidence in Jokic lighting them up than I do Embiid off the second night of a back-to-back where he played 40-plus minutes. Like, he he might be a little tired. He might be short lagging some jumpers. But you know, I don't know if he's going to go down to the post all that much, especially to battle Jokic all night. But Jokic is going to have many, many passing lanes to exploit against the Sixers defense.
0: Yeah, I think this could be a game where he probably doesn't score as much as Embiid. Mm -hmm. And it's going to look like, especially if if Embiid wins and has a lot more points, that it might feel a lot more like an impactful Embiid game than maybe an impactful Jokic game while Jokic still has like 12 or 14 assists or something yeah. like that and just yeah. like okay so the Philly won 125 to 120 and Embiid had 35 and Jokic had 25 uh but Jokic also like dimed up everybody and then the Nuggets were minus 17 while he was off the court that's right. that's <laughs> sort of like the the formula for every single game at this point but uh look i well I think both of these guys are going to match up with each other extensively. I think when Jokic is on the court, Embiid will be on the court. I think when Embiid's on the court, unless Jokic is in foul trouble, I think Jokic will be on the court too. Uh, it's going to be very fascinating to see how these guys uh, address this race and how they they play against each other. Um, do you have a prediction for what you, what you think will happen?
1: Oh, oh man. I, I mean, I think the Nuggets – I guess we'll see if Aaron Gordon – Plays or not, because down all three of those guys might be a tough task. But I, I mean, I, I think I don't know who's going to win the game, but I am fairly certain that Nikola Jokic is going to walk out with a triple double.
0: That's a fair. I think that's a that's a good take. Um, right now, Denver's James Harden and Tyrese Maxey defenders are Monte Morris, Will Barton, Austin Rivers, Bones Highland, Bryn Forbes, and Davon Reed. Ooh. Um, okay. Or Faku Camposo, like take your pick. Oh, if, you, oh. if you want Faku Camposo, then we could give you Faku in this one. Um, but unless Aaron Gordon plays, then I think that might that might help out on both ends of the court for sure. Yeah. Um, if he doesn't play, then I think Denver's kind of in a, a tougher place guarding whatever the Sixers want to run, and especially like Harden and Maxi are just going to be. Like I could see them running DHOs and pick and rolls with Embiid and Jokic having to step up and help those guys and then <laughs> Embiid just dunking on him on on kind of a the recovery for for Jokic.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and Maxi's had a couple down games in a row, so I, I would guess he will come out with his hair on fire tomorrow.
0: Bones Highland versus Tyrese Maxi is a fun one. Both of Ooh. those guys are uh, energetic, fun, uh, just positive minded and fiery uh, and they, they have very similar styles of game. I, I do think Tyrese Maxey is more of a downhill player while bones is kind of more of a, a freestyling freewheeling, passing kind of player, but he also just shoots from so far, um, but it should be, should be a lot of fun. I, I'm really looking forward to it, man. This is going to be great. Uh, I've taken up way too much of your time. So I really appreciate you hopping on with me. Any, any lasting takes before we get out of here?
1: I just want everyone to be nice to each other tomorrow night, like regardless of whatever happens and not just tomorrow night, but like for the rest of the season, again, as we said, early in the episode, like, let's just enjoy both of these guys. They're both great. We don't need to tear the other one down just to prop your guy up. Like I know. And you know, you, you said, Nuggets fans are guilty of this. I believe me. I know that Sixers fans are guilty of it too. I really, I'll, I'll make an occasional joke here or there, but I want everyone to know there are Sixers fans out there that, Like Nikola Jokic. Like he's incredible. He's awesome. I love both of these guys. And I just want to see them both battle this thing out like you know, a Godzilla movie for the next month.
0: See you in the finals, man. It's gonna be a lot of fun.
1: Knock on wood. I hope as long as the Nets don't make it. That's all I care about. I don't care what happens to the Sixers, (laughs) just I don't want the Nets to make it very far.
0: Oh man, that would be like they they are what an enigma. What an enigma the Nets are. All right, well, thank you so much for hopping on. Really appreciate it. Uh, For everybody else, that is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I will be back tomorrow night with a recap podcast for the big game. Should be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it just as much as everybody else. Uh, You'll get a nice post-game pod from me. Uh, Hopefully, it's a positive one on our end. But either way, it's going to be a lot of fireworks, a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Talk to you guys soon.